Boy, you look good. Look good, and thank you for those who are joining us online. I can't see you, but I'm sure you look good too. Let me start out by telling you a story. A hundred years ago, at the end, uh, at the turn of the century, a little girl, shabbily dressed, obviously poor, was standing outside of a small church sobbing. The pastor, Russell uh, Conwell, saw the little girl and approached her, and he said, uh, he said, daughter, what, why are you crying? And she said, I tried to go to Sunday school this morning, but they turned me away. They said there was no room. And he said, wait a minute. And he took her by the hand, and he took her to this class, and it was crowded, but he moved people around so that there would be a space for her. For the next several weeks, Hattie Mae uh, Wyatt continued to come to Sunday school every Sunday. But Hattie had a childhood disease, and because of her poverty, her parents were not, could not afford the treatment, and she died a couple of months later. They asked Dr. Conwell to do the funeral, and after the funeral, the parents approached Dr. Conwell and gave him this dirty, small coin purse. And they said to Dr. Conwell, they said, our daughter has been collecting pennies so that the church could afford to build space for more children. Inside the coin purse, he found 57 pennies. A few Sundays after that, he preached to his congregation. And he took each of the pennies out individually and placed them on the altar, one at a time. And he challenged them to, to take seriously the building program that they had thought about, but no one believed that they could do. There are several stories about what happened afterwards. Uh, one story said that, that he sold the pennies to the congregation and raised $250. Another story says that said a local landowner heard about the little girl and sold the church a large parcel of land for 57 cents. What we do know is that a local newspaper picked up the story and published it. And from there, it exploded. A generous member of the church started out by giving the church a $10,000 check. That check turned into, within just a few months, $250,000. In today's economy, that's $4 million. The church grew rapidly. They built a building so that uh, there would be space for children and that no one would be turned away. They began to expand their own facilities and grew to over 5,600 members. Their vision grew, and they founded Temple University and Samaritan Hospital, both dedicated to the poor and underprivileged of Philadelphia. In a sermon on December 1st, 1912, Dr. Conwell honored Hattie Mae uh, Wyatt. He made this statement. If God can do this with just 57 cents, imagine what God can do with whatever we place in his hands. Little is much when God is in it. This morning I begin a, a, a four-week series on, called 
untamed abundance, rivers of life. My goal in these sermons is to search for ways that we can grow closer to God through Jesus Christ and to experience the resulting multiplication of our gifts to be kingdom builders. Each Sunday, we will ask this question. What part of your life will you place in God's hands? Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength, our redeemer. May these words be your words, O God. And for all that I don't speak, O God, may you fill in the gaps that we may all, including me, hear your word for us this day. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Let's begin with John chapter 7. It is the basis for this sermon and those that follow. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, let anyone who thirsts come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus offered this dramatic statement on the last great day of the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Feast of the Tabernacles was a celebration of harvest and the great things that God had done for the Hebrews. It was really party time in Jerusalem. There was not a Jew in the area and beyond that would miss the parties associated with the week-long celebration of the harvest. Each day, they would gather at the temple and the people would march to the Pool of Siloam. And there, with a golden uh, pitcher, the the priest would gather water, and they would process back to the temple. And then through a a silver uh, uh, funnel, he would pour the water over 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 the altar and onto the floor. On the seventh day, the people would not only march to the pool and march back singing the songs of faith, but they would march around the temple seven times. It is at this moment that Jesus speaks his words. Now, I can, I can only imagine how, how Jesus must have felt as he had watched the people all week long, as he had seen their hunger and how the rituals had, were, were not really filling their hunger. I can only imagine that Jesus just simply could not hold himself back. And so he shouted, If anyone is thirsty, come to me. Now, this statement runs much deeper than the symbolism of the festival and the rituals. For generations, their thirst had grown more spiritual and eternal. The offering of the temple priest had become empty. It was just the same words over and over again. The people needed more than a festival and a party. The people needed their hearts to be filled with the presence of God. Sound familiar? Does that sound familiar for our day? We live in restless, anxious, and parched times. The desperate efforts to to fill and quench the thirst of our soul with promises of good times and easy living are empty. Good times are fleeting. 
and easy living is just a mirage. I mean, it may look that it's possible, but when, <laughs> when, we, when we get there, it's not what we thought it would be. Jesus' offering of living waters is strong and clear. And the living waters of Jesus are our only hope. Our only hope. Now, there are two invitations in this passage. One is, come to me. And the other is, drink. In, in the church, we understand the call of Jesus to come to me very well. We do a really good job of coming to Jesus. We come to worship, we read our Bibles, we go, we, you know, we have all these things that we do. But all of us at one time or another have experienced and allowed our faith to run shallow. We do attend worship, we do read our Bibles, uh, we do pray. But are we truly drinking from the living waters of Jesus? Are we truly growing closer to Jesus? It is the second invitation that makes the difference. Jesus says, and let the one who believes in me drink. Forty-one times in John's gospel, he quotes Jesus saying, believe in me. Forty-one times. Do you think maybe he thinks that's important? That we believe in him? Obviously, Jesus knows the deficit in our lives. And believing in Jesus, as, as John speaks of it, <laughs> it, it moves us beyond the practice of religion to a deeper experience. Of Jesus Christ as Lord. In believing, we drink fully and completely from the life changing experience, presence of Jesus. And in so being filled, we, 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 we flow out to others so that they notice and see the change that's taking place. The untamed, unlimited, unbounded abundance that comes from living from the living waters of Jesus is what makes the difference. In the next couple of Sundays, these sermons will follow the first couple of sessions of the emotionally healthy spirituality sessions and classes. All of us want to drink from the waters of Jesus. All of us want to experience that presence and that, that life that could be ours. But how do we get there? How do we overcome the blockers? How do we break from the patterns of the past? How do we claim the gifts or move beyond the curse of past generation? These are the questions that we'll be addressing. This is what we'll be looking at. And, and I hope in these sermons that, that maybe, maybe you will... Just find a nugget here or there that will help you take the next step in, in, in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because God, through Jesus Christ, is waiting to fill us beyond anything we can possibly imagine.
God is waiting to make us the person that he created us to be. In morning, this morning, I'm not so much going to address those questions, but rather address the promise that comes through that close walk with Jesus. One of the places that we hear that promise is in Romans chapter 8. Paul outlines uh, these promises in the, in the way of Christ. He states that these promises are ours as we grow nearer to God through Jesus Christ. Let's look closely. If you have your Bible, you may want to just read along with me. Because I'm going to go very quickly through, through, these, through this passage, verse by verse. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God and who call, are called according to his purposes. Now, I, I want to say up front that these next few passages, I could spend hours, literally hours, unpacking what's here. And so we're, gonna, we're just going to take a high view and look specifically at the promise. And what Paul says here is, though, no matter how things look, God is redesigning, making new, and rearranging all things for us. As we come to know Jesus, as we believe in Jesus, as we drink from Jesus... So we see and love God with new eyes and new expectations for the future. He continues. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the, to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. Uh, this passage has been much debated over the years. You know, what does it mean to be predestined? Uh, let me give insight of how, how I, from our tradition, we see this. And just unpack it a little bit. Simply put, when Paul says, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, he's not speaking of actions or circumstances that have already been prepared and set in place before us. Paul is speaking to the person that we are created to be like Jesus, that we are, that when he says predestined, he's, he's talking about who God has created us to be, the purpose that God has placed within us. And as we drink from the living waters of Jesus, so we experience this person, so this image is multiplied, and we become a part of God's family. That's the promise First born within a large family, our true DNA is revealed. Oh, Lord God, give me this. Help me, oh God, to see who you created and what you created within me. That I might be <laughs> what you have called and made me to be. For in the next passage, he makes that clear. And those he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is our way to sanctification. Within the Wesleyan tradition, this is, these are the steps. To be called, to be justified, to be glorified. Without going to detail, I can better understand this by 
by kind of rephrasing it like this. God created us for a purpose. God calls us by name to be made whole and share in his victory. You know, there, when we share in God's victory, there is no fear. When we share in God's victory and look forward to it, there is no anxiety. When we share and experience God's victory, we live with hope and confidence. Because we may, no matter what, how things look or what we see, we know that God is already ahead using all things, as Paul says, for good. Then Paul says, and I, one of my favorite passages, what then shall we say about this? If God is for us, who is against us? We can assume that Paul's question, what then shall we say about these things, refers to the impossible circumstances of his day. The persecution, the beatings that he himself experienced, the absolute I mean, what, what we see in, in our lives is nothing compared to what those early Christians experienced. With an exclamation point, Paul proclaims that as part of God's family, we are never, hear that? Never without the resources to meet any day. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? Now I want to make a shift. Because I spent a lot of time praying this week and reflecting on what happened this week on Wednesday. The events of what happened in Washington, D.C. I, 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 I don't know about you, but I was disturbed and troubled. The condition of our land seems to be untenable. What shall we say about these things? What shall we say about these things? And really, Wednesday is just an, another example of what we have seen throughout the year. And in my opinion, it, it is what has been brewing beneath the surface of our nation for years. We can just now see it. So what shall we say about these things? I think if Paul were addressing the, these circumstances, he would ask that same question. What shall we say about these things? Or better yet, what is God calling us to do? What is God calling you to do? It seems as if our world is coming apart. The institutions and societal values that we have come to know and depend seem to be moving beneath our feet. What shall we say about these things? Here's what the scriptures say. If God is for us, who can be against us? And I believe that God is in the midst of all of this to use it in new ways for a great revival that we have not seen in this nation for generations. I believe that the spirit and presence of God is some, coming in such a powerful way that these events are just simply opening the door 
that those like us who are asking the questions uh, will only see the, the power and the supernatural presence of God through Jesus Christ as the answer. What shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We can look to the future with confidence. I've called on us to have a day of prayer. I, I don't know at this point what, our, what God is calling our church or, or any of us to do. But I do know that it is time for us to listen to God's direction. To offer ourselves to God as instruments of healing and peace. And to know that whatever the future holds... Our God is big enough to handle whatever comes. There are no limits to what God can do with us. Ours is to believe, to drink, and to let the rivers of life flow through us. So today, let's take the first step. Every song begins with one note. There is not a poem that doesn't begin with one word. Every long journey begins by taking that first step. And so let us take our step by offering ourselves in prayer to God and listening to what God has to say for us. And not to say, Lord, join us, but for us to find where God is that we might join God. First step. You know, the, uh, the church, university, and hospital complex of Temple Baptist Church began with 57 cents. There is no limit to what God can do with the person who completely, without reservation, offers them to God through Jesus Christ. Nothing. You may or may not know this, but over the past several years, I've, I've done leadership conferences and leadership classes, and I, I do a little bit that, of that now, just occasionally. But in the, in the sessions that I, that I do with whatever organization that I'm working with, there's always a session on what is your why. All of us know, in terms of looking at our day, what we're going to do, by and large. By and large, most of us know how we're going to do what we do. But why do we do it? What is our passion? What drives us? What is our why? Why do we do what we do? I always end the session because those who are part of the sessions know that I'm a pastor and, and that my core values begin in my faith with Jesus Christ. And so I end the session with these words. I do what I do because I believe the world could be changed by one person. One person. And I know that person. And I believe that he can use me in making a difference. So, 
What part of your life are you willing to put in God's hands today?